0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Anthony. I yeah, appreciate that. I appreciate people using their talents for the Lord. And I pray that some of you that have talents will not keep your talents hidden. And so, uh, those of you that the Holy Spirit convicts you about, start using your talents, all right? But sure, appreciate it. Take your Bible tonight and go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This morning, um, I shared with you uh, that. As the Bible says in 2 Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and here's the key, it is profitable. So we're going to take a look, because part of that is for doctrine, and of course talks about reproof, correction, and here it is, instruction, instruction in righteousness. So tonight's probably going to be a little bit more on the teaching aspect. More than probably on the preaching side of it. And of course, God has given the responsibility to a pastor to not only preach the word, but to teach the word. It is my responsibility to do that. So tonight will be a little bit more on the teaching side. So if you have your place there in Matthew 7, let's stand out of respect for the word of God. And uh, we'll read these verses, have a word of prayer, and we'll let you be seated and we'll dive into it tonight. Uh, Tonight's message, like many of these on Sunday night, is uh, pretty meaty, and so if you're visiting with us tonight, uh, this series is called Stand for Truth, and uh, the truth is what we need. As Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth is what will make you free. And I'm afraid, and I know this is true, that so many today uh, have not been instructed, have not been informed, have not been taught the truth. And maybe some have gotten away from the truth. And so it's my heart, hopefully it'll come come across with the right spirit tonight, but it's my heart to try to help all of us. Uh, I don't know where you're at. And uh, if there's something that I say tonight, my intention is not to offend But I know that many times with a message like this, it may, it may, God's word may offend someone. Here's what I'll ask you to do is have a good spirit, have a good attitude, come see me, uh, text me, call me, whatever. And I'd love to talk with you about it. And if it's something that I need to correct, I will. But I just, I want to be right in the sight of the Lord. I want to do justice to the word of God. I want to rightly divide it. And so let's look at what is what I consider one of the greatest sermons that was ever preached. It is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you ever have looked at it like that in your Bible, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. We look at it as three chapters in our Bible. Jesus delivered all of this in one message. You think my messages are long, all right? And so we're just going to look at the tail end of it. A lot of the principles were laid early on, but we're coming to the end of his Sermon on the Mount. And let's let's look here in chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. And uh, hopefully you have your Bible because I'm going to read beyond the text that is on your outline. All right. So just let you know that. Beginning in verse number 15. What's the first word? Okay, that's that's an interesting way to start, all right. <laughs> I think most of us know what the word beware means, right? There's a warning that is, uh, God is given here. He says, beware of false prophets which come to you, notice, come to you, and they come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, here's the problem, inside they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But every corrupt tree, a corrupt tree, bringeth forth evil fruit. The Bible says in the next verse, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Twice, he says it. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work, what's the word? Iniquity. Iniquity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Pray that you'd bless this message, bless our time with you in the word of God. Lord, may we learn, may your Holy Spirit give us understanding, discernment, and God, may we leave here with a greater understanding of who we are according to you, according to your word, that we may be able to go out of here with the truth to help others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Thank you for standing. Well, in 19, uh, excuse me, 1847, the month of May, There have over the years been many archaeological digs. uh, People looking for artifacts, things to verify, not only the Bible, but other things in the world. But in 1847, archaeologists uncovered a horizontal slab of stone that on that was inscribed in Greek and in Hebrew, and it read Limit. Of Geezer, I think we have a picture of of that that stone there. Uh, no, did you skip one? There you go. These are actually the 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 limits. That's what it's talk, talk, talks about. The limit of Geezer. Now they uncovered these, and months later they discovered that a second similarly inscribed stone that was about seventeen hundred yards due northwest. Of the first one that they found, that these two were markers for the archaeologists, and I think go to that other slide, you could see the inscription there in the Greek and the Hebrew, that this was wording, now what is this all about? As the archaeologists found these limits of geyser, these stones, they confirmed the location and the dimension of one of what is known in the Bible as one of the six cities of refuge. When you find in the Word of God described in Joshua 21, verse 21, it talks about these cities that they could flee to, that if people sought their life, and so these stones, these limits of Gezer were set up, and they are proof that they were boundary markers that, that described or by dimension showed how big these city limits were in Gezer, one, ma- one of the six cities. Now, that was what they meant for the archaeologists. But listen to this. For us that study the Word of God, these limits of Gezer, these stone monuments, for the Bible student, they are a silent testimony to what is known as the ancient landmarks that are described in the scriptures. Landmarks in the Bible, in Bible days, were not only demarcations of city limits, which is what those are, but landmarks were also used as property markers. They would set up, establish these with property markers, with landmarks. Now, the Mosaic Law, when you study it, here's what it says it expressly prohibited that anyone would move or overstep the boundaries that were marked by such a stone. Nowadays, we have what we call property lines. (laughs) We bought our house and we were living in it for maybe a year or two right here in South Florida. and um, We have a fence in the back that's kind of on an angle, and and where we live, it kind of goes, the house next to us, the road curves around, and so their backyard is kind of a pie-shaped, and I never gave it much thought that the angle or why that fence looked that way, but one day my wife said, and I don't know why she got it out, she said, I was looking at at our, our layout of our property, and she said, you know, that fence is actually the property line. And uh, then I realized that the previous owner, the original owner of the house that we have, you see some of these houses that have these poured curbings around maybe your your vegetation, around your plants in the front, maybe some in the back. And and they had that in the front, and they had some of it around the back. and, And the person that lived there before us, he had it done in the front and in the back. The only problem is is he had it done on the back outside that fence. It's in the neighbor's yard. Now, I'm glad we have nice neighbors that haven't said, hey, that, that stuff's in my yard. Now, I've been trimming all the bushes on the other side of that fence because I thought they were mine. And so when she told me that, we had two huge grand palm trees on the other side of that fence, and those grand palms, as majestic and nice as they are, they constantly were dropping all kinds of things on my back patio, and it ended up in our pool. It was aggravating. One day, we were, we, I was out there in the yard, and the neighbor came uh, by, my, by where I was, and I said to him, I said, hey, listen, I said, uh, I don't know if you know this, and by the way, he didn't. I said, those trees and those bushes are not mine, they're yours. And he kind of looked at me and he said, well, I did not know that. And I said, well, I didn't either till my wife pointed it out. And so to this day, I still trim those bushes because he doesn't. And I don't like the way they look when they're not trimmed. But I was concerned about those grand palms because one of those grand palms that used to be there, blew over in the lake years before we moved here. And I guess when a hurricane or some hurricane winds came through, and I kept thinking, if one of those grand palms falls towards my house. Well, when I said that to him, I think he got to thinking, that sounds like an insurance issue, and I don't want that. And so I was at work one day here at the church, my wife called, and she said, hey, the neighbor just had those two grand palms removed. Totally moved them. See, there's property lines. There's markers, and God has given us in his word some marking lines, and those were prohibited under the Mosaic law that you are not to move those or to overstep those boundaries. Look what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 19:14. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. In other words, the Bible says that God had allowed some landmarks to be established, to be set up, and he says that you shall not remove them. Deuteronomy 27, 17. Cursed, what a word, cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people said what? Amen. Amen. We agree. The people said, that's right, we should not move the landmarks that had been set up. Now, moving landmarks in the Hebrew culture, in society for the Jews, it was flagrant in Hebrew society for the landmarks to be moved because these landmarks, Now, I'm going somewhere with this, because I'm going to move from land to the Word of God. You see, there are some things that God has established a long time ago when He gave us His Word. And what has happened and is happening is people are moving the landmarks that God has set up. And God says, listen, that should not be removed. Many believe that this command about removing and moving the landmarks can, that's, that's really on a physical landmark can be applied to moral and doctrinal landmarks as well. For instance, the Bible says in Proverbs twenty two twenty eight. 28, Notice, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set up. The ancient landmarks held dear by Christians through the centuries, Those landmarks don't need to be relocated or revised. They need to be defended. We need to defend what God has given to us. Listen, if we continue as Bible-believing Christians to give way and say, listen, it doesn't matter. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it does matter. And the more we continue to give away, what will we have later on? What will our children have? They will not have what God has given to us, what has been handed down, what has been entrusted to us. See, many today want to appeal to re-examine our beliefs. Can I ask you tonight, what's wrong with them? I mean, do you have beliefs? What are your beliefs? Are your beliefs based on the Word of God? Or are they just that, just your beliefs? You see, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Baptist by conviction. And my convictions come from the Word of God. You see, I could not be convinced of them if it was not for the accuracy and the authority of the Scriptures. So you have to understand, there are many today who want to make our beliefs now. A lot of the terminology I'm going to use tonight is on purpose, but they want to they want to make our beliefs. They want to make it more palatable for the unsaved. Excuse me. If it's Bible, then people need to hear it. You see, we don't need to water down God's Word. People can handle it. They've been handling it for many 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 years that's that's what you find nowadays with so many religious groups and so many bible versions is people say well listen that 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 terminology you can't understand it that terminology it might offend somebody listen it's God's words you can't improve on God's words what are we saying we know better than God here let me correct the word of God how ridiculous but that's what they say. We've got to make it more palatable. Listen, it is a delusion for us to adjust our convictions, listen to me, to appease the world. It's a delusion. And here, you know why? Because you're never going to appease the world. You see, you give this much and they're going to say, well, listen, we don't like that either. Okay, well we'll give this much more. Well, that's still not enough. So, who determines where it ends? See, God has given his word, he has preserved it, his word is forever settled in heaven. But yet, so many want to move it. I told you this is this is not this morning. I talked about as Peter described newborn babes in Christ. This is not sucking on the bottle milk message tonight. This is something we all need to hear. This is something that every Christian, every Bible-believing church needs to have preached. Not because I'm preaching it, but it is because what the Word of God tells us. We need to know the truth because the truth is that they are trying to move what God has given to us, what God has established. And the outcome of that is not good. We're already starting to see the indicators of people trying to move that. See, the landmarks of our faith are founded in the Scriptures. The landmarks. And it's our task, not just mine. Listen to me. If you're saved tonight, it is our task to defend those truths, not to change them and not to strip them down. And so I want to kind of come at this a little bit different tonight, and everything I'm going to share with you, you can look it up yourself, it is absolutely the truth when it comes to uh, describing who we are and where we are today. So I'm going to begin with what most people probably have heard of, but maybe you don't understand the historical context, and that is, let's look at what is called, or what was called the evangelical movement. Now that word, evangelical... It is a very broad word. It's used by many, many Christians of many different religions and denominations. And so I want you to understand as we see the beginning of what was known as the evangelical movement. Now, a couple Sunday nights ago, I covered what is known as the fundamentals of the faith. Remember that? We gave the five fundamental beliefs of Bible Christianity, and we talked about those Bible-believing Christians. The the truth is, listen, Bible-believing Christians have always been known as evangelicals. We are evangelicals. Now, let's talk about that. What is an evangelical? And why does it even matter? Pastor, why are you talking about this tonight? Well, the answer about being an evangelical, or what one is, is that answer requires that you and I understand both, listen, the history of and the theology of the evangelical movement. We have to understand the backstory, Because if you look at what evangelicalism uh, was when it began and what it is today, they're vastly different. I hope you understand what I just said. You know, this is probably a poor example, but of how things change, and I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but if you looked up years ago, the word in the, in the dictionary, the word gay, it meant happy. Doesn't quite mean that today, does it? So look, things change. Terminologies change. And we have to, watch this, as Christians, we have to be discerning. We have to understand the changes. So if we're talking about this term evangelical the term itself is a word that is derived from the greek word euangelion now i don't expect you to remember that word all right but if you look at that word and I, it may be there in your notes but it begins with the letter e and the letter u if you like like gladys on the, a week from tonight we're going to have her, her a memorial for her at the beginning of the service and give honor to where honor is due, and she was a sweet lady, a part of our church. When you go to a funeral, what do you hear? You hear what is known as a eulogy. If you notice, listen, eulogy. Well, O-L-O-G-Y is, a lot of times you see that on theology, Christology, Bibliology. It's to say a word about is what ology is. But when you go to a funeral, you hear a eulogy. Well, the letter E and the letter U in that language God gave His word in, it means good. So what is a eulogy? It's to say a good word about. So listen, I hope when the day ever comes, if the Lord doesn't come first, that whenever they lay my old body to rest, I hope somebody has a good word to say about me. You know, as a pastor, it's easy to do some funerals, and it's a little bit more of a challenge to do others. But here's the thing is, so if you have the euangelion, what are we talking about? You ever heard this, that it's the good news? Okay, so what is an evangelical? It comes from the word euangelion, which means gospel. It means good news. A lot of times, I'll, I'll hand a gospel tract to somebody, and I'll say to them, can I give you some good news? Do you know that's not a Baptist term that we just came up with so that we can trick people into taking what we have in our hand? No, that's the absolute truth. What we're giving them is the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And that if they believe on him, they can have eternal life. That's pretty good news, isn't it? How many of you know heaven is your home someday? Yeah, that's pretty good news, isn't it? So so watch, I told you this is going to be a little bit more teaching tonight. Just bear with me, but we're talking about the evangelical movement. So the word evangelical is derived from that word euangelion, meaning the gospel, good news. Now notice, technically speaking, an evangelical, okay, refers, or maybe should I say referred, to a person, maybe a church or an organization that is committed to the gospel message that Jesus is the Savior of humanity. Now, do you think that's the way our church should be? Absolutely. Our church should be committed to the gospel message. Folks, that's why we're here. But see, so many today want the church to be something other than what God intended it to be. The Bible says go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach the word to every creature. That's our responsibility. Let's see, everybody wants the church to be something else today. And what is the church? It's not a building. It's the people of God. It's the believers. You guys with me tonight? Some of you look confused already. Listen, I hope you're not because you will be. All right? Now, In the first century, okay, I'm going to go back, time of Christ, and he ascended back to be with the Father. In the first century, we're talking about evangelicalism, okay? In the first century, it distinguished, being an evangelical was distinguished that if you called yourself an evangelical, it was the love-centered movement of those that followed Jesus, And that was different from the violent Roman Empire of the world of that day. So people who loved Jesus and followed Jesus, they were called evangelicals. That's what they were. They they were spreaders of the good news. Right? So listen, the term evangelical, listen to this, it largely took hold in the English-speaking world during what was known as the great awakening and i won't i don't have time to get into all of that but two of the major players in that god used in the great awakening was jonathan edwards and george whitfield the preaching of these two men and many others that preach boldly in what is known as the great awakening it was under the influence of these preachers as well as a few others that evangelicalism this being committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that evangelicalism became synonymous with what is known as revivalism. Now, we, every year we have at least one meeting that we call a revival meeting. Well, why do we have a revival? Because, listen, all of us from time to time spiritually need to be woken up again. And thus you had the Great Awakening. So here you have these people that, in this time period, they were known as evangelicals. Listen, get a hold of this, because they were committed to the gospel message that Jesus Christ is the Savior of humanity, all right? That's Bible. Now, if you fast forward in history, and I know I'm skipping a lot of years, but I'm trying to save a little time. In some ways, okay, and I I don't have time to get into all of those, But in some ways, Christianity, I'm talking about true Bible Christianity, it took a beating in the early 1900s in America. Bible Christianity. The carnage of two world wars and the Great Depression. Okay, Brother Flynn, do you remember those? (laughs) So here's the thing is, listen, I think most of us, if you've studied any history, you know... What happened during those world wars, the carnage that came out of that, and the Great Depression, and the way that it left our country. Now a lot of times we always think of the physical side of it, we think of the way it left our country as far as the stability, the economics, but listen, a country is only as strong as it is spiritual. The reason America is America is because of God. It's not because of our military might. So the carnage that came about, listen to this, it raised questions about whether God existed. It raised questions about, is God good? We've all, you know, talked to people. Maybe even had those thoughts. You know, something's happening, like right now. What's going on in Ukraine? How can a good God let this happen? You know what I'm talking about? People have these thoughts. Uh, they, they, there was questioning coming out of this: Is God powerful? Why can't God do something? Is God asleep? Does God not care? Now, listen. These aren't my thoughts. This is some of the thinking. And that's why Bible Christianity took a beating in the early 1900s. And on top of that, here you go, modern science also raised doubts about Christianity's explanation of the origin of life. All of this started to shake the foundation of evangelicals. So where did we go from there? Well, notice, secondly, tonight, what is known, and watch this, not the evangelical movement, but the new evangelical movement. Now, I will tell you, listen, some of these terms that I'm using are real terms. But as I was telling somebody before the service tonight, if you talk to somebody, they don't always use these terms. But many times, if you get to know them, and you get to know what they believe, many of them are steeped in what I'm sharing with you tonight. See, when I talk to people, I don't always walk up to somebody and go, yeah, I'm a Baptist. I remember years ago, I, uh, I was 28 years old. I was, went to bed, and I was in my bed, and, and I was sound asleep, and all of a sudden, I got awoken. I had, the, I had this awful pain in my chest. And, and I, I, any of you guys remember Fred Sanford? I was having a Fred Sanford moment, Elizabeth. I'm coming to see you, honey. I, I mean, I thought it was over, and and so I got out of bed. I didn't even I didn't even wake my wife. I got out of bed and I was I was on the floor at the foot of my bed. I was duffled over, 28 years old, and I guess my wife heard my moaning and groaning, and she got out of bed. And she's like, "What's the matter?" I said, "I don't know." I said, "I think I'm having a heart attack," and so she put me in the car and we started to drive to the hospital. And the hospital that we always went to was way, way in town. And there was another hospital between where we lived and the other one. I said, I don't think I'm going to make it to that other one. You better. Go. We got in there and, and, and we get in there. And, you know, here's the hospital. Excuse me. Close your ears, Greg and Jan. Uh, here's the hospital. I get in They're firing off all these questions. And I'm like, I'm dying. Forget the questions. Just help me out. And, and so the lady says, stick your hand out. And I stuck my hand out. And, and she put something in my hand. She says, here, take these. And I popped them in my mouth. And I heard my wife say, what did you just give him? And she said, nitroglycerin pills. And I swallowed them. I wasn't even having a heart attack. They hadn't even checked me out yet. They just gave me nitroglycerin pills, you know. But I remember while I was waiting to get in there, they're asking me all these questions. And one of the questions is, what religion are you? What's that got to do with my heart? And sometimes when we have these discussions, I don't look, I don't try to mask it, hide it. You know, a lot of times it doesn't come into play yet. We don't always tell people we're Baptist, but that's what we are. There's a reason behind that. I might cover that one of these Sunday nights because I think a lot of times people don't understand what a Baptist is. You know, the history, you know, behind who we are. You know, people, look, people think being a Baptist is a bad thing. You know, I've heard people say, I don't know if I'd go this far, but I've heard people say, yeah, Jesus was a Baptist. Really? Where does it say that? You know, Jesus was the Word. And if we are God's children, we are men and women of the Word, then I think that's good enough for me. So, look, you hear this term, new, new evangelical. Now, that always begs, watch this, that always kind of begs, okay, what was wrong with the old? Right? Why do we have to improve it? You know? And and, and sometimes I look at things like this. Now, let's go back to the beginning of, and, and I wish I could get into all of it, but after World War II, there were Christians that were weary. They were tired of both the global conflict that was going on in the world from the wars and you have what had been raging known as the fundamentalist, modernist battles that were going on. Remember I told about not moving those landmarks. So you have those that were fundamental in their beliefs. They they were adhering to the word of God, the principles of the word of God. But then you had these modernists that had science and other things and they were there were doubts about does God exist and is God you with me tonight and so this battle was going on and there were these Christians that were kind of tired about this and here's what happened is these weary Christians remember the bible says let us not be weary in well doing for in due season you shall reap if you what faint not but here's these Christians that were worn down, and they were offered, this is true, they were offered promises of unity. Now, here's the catch. Catch 22. If they would embrace a series of compromises. Hey, listen, we can all come together if you just let us move the landmark over to here. If you just let us change a few things. I mean, look, it's, you know, it's It's 1,900 and whatever. I mean, people, and I hear that all the time. Pastor, it's 2022. Yeah? And you don't think God knows that? last time I checked, God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word doesn't change. Our God doesn't change. So why does God's people have to change? Hello? We're constantly being pushed to make concessions. That's what happened. These believers, they said, look, we will promise you that they're, by the way, be careful about their promises. Remember the first word in Matthew 7, 15, beware. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. And so here they are. They make this promise. But you have to embrace a series of compromises. Now, when I use the word there, new evangelical. Okay, don't get offended by that because I was telling Brother Flynn, the reason we're called Baptists, I don't know if you know this, we didn't name ourselves. The enemies of God's people are the ones that named us. They actually started calling us Anabaptists, which is basically a re-baptizer because God's people that got saved by the grace of God, salvation always comes before baptism, And so when these people who were a part of a false religious system, when they they were baptized as babies, they were sprinkled. Well, excuse me, sprinkling is not in the Bible, and it's not salvation. Baptism is never meant to be salvation, and so they believe that if you are baptized, you're going to heaven. But there were people that got saved by the grace of God. They put their faith in Christ. When they got saved, they said, hey, look, the Bible says now that we are saved, we're supposed to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So, what happened? These now new believers that had been sprinkled as babies, they said, Hey, look, we need to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Then their children trusted Christ. Like my granddaughter I mentioned this morning, their children got saved, their children that had been sprinkled by a church, and they said, listen, our children want to get baptized. Well, when they started baptizing their children biblically by immersion, which is what the word baptizo means, it means to plunge under, to put under, you don't baptize above, you go under. Well, when they started doing that, they were labeled rebaptizers, Anabaptists, and eventually the Anna was dropped, and they, the name Baptist stayed with us. See, a lot of times people say, well, I just don't really like what a Listen, you know what a Baptist is? It's somebody that believes the Word of God. Somebody that's been persecuted for the Word of God. Nowadays, we, we think, well, that's a bad word. People are taking the name Baptist off their church. Hey, listen, I, I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist. It's a Bible-believing Christian. But here, here you have these people that... That that are new evangelicals. Now watch this. You may not like that term, but guess what? We Bible believing Christians didn't name them. They named themselves. They started calling themselves We're new evangelicals." Now can I, I can tell you this? That new evangelicalism is not the opposite of uh, fundamentalism in doctrine. It's not the opposite of fundamentalism in doctrine. Here's the key. New evangelicalism primarily differs from fundamentalism in practice. Do you get that? The practice, how they carry out the teachings of the Word of God. It was a call. New evangelicalism was a call to peace with the liberals, Now, I'll I'll talk about that in just a minute. Hopefully, you understand the term, but I'll define that in just a minute. But it was a call to peace with the liberals. It was a suggestion, and that's a loose word there, suggestion, that fundamentalists could believe what they did without separating from those who denied the Word of God, so long as those that did deny the Word of God called themselves Christians. Wow. So, listen, here it is. It was their call to lay down arms. These are not my words. These are theirs. To lay down arms. Listen, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Last time I checked, we are to earnestly contend. Sounds to me like there is a fight going on. And the fight is for the souls of men and women. God says, listen, you need to understand. That's why Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. That's what he said. Why would Paul, under inspiration, write that if he wasn't fighting a good fight? The Christian life is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Amen? Amen. Every day, it's a battle, and so here it is. You have these people that are trying to make peace with liberals, and they're asking us to lay down our arms of contending for the faith, and all of this was implied in terms that related to our, this is their word, our attitude. You have the wrong attitude. It it was a call to leaders, fundamental leaders, to take a softer, more reasonable attitude towards Bible deniers. Folks, do you understand the slippery slope that I'm describing to you? To take a softer stand. Truth is truth. God established the principles of His Word, and He doesn't want those landmarks to be moved. But yet, hey, listen, it's 2020. Why can't we all just get together and hold hands and sing kumbaya? Now, I know this is, this is probably foreign to some of you. But you have to understand, what I'm, what I'm sharing to you is historical, it's biblical, and it is something that is so important in this day and hour that we live in. That's why our theme this year is stand. Stand for what? Listen, what's the opposite of standing? Falling. The other day I said that and somebody said sitting. I said, no, that's only halfway. Now, the hope was that if they could get fundamental leaders to take a softer, more reasonable attitude towards Bible deniers, the hope was that if fundamentalists would become more, here it is, these are their words, buzzwords, if fundamentalists would become more intellectual and less dogmatic, that they could draw the liberals back to the truth. That's not God's way. God's never told us to become, you know, more intellectual. Watch this. You know what intellectualism does? It leaves God out. It deals with man's intellect. And and to be less, some of you might not like the word dogmatic. Use the word strict. (laughs) The Bible talks about line upon line, precept upon precept. We need to look, we cannot skip certain portions of the Word of God. All Scripture is profitable, every last bit of it, and we need to understand the importance of it. From its conception, new evangelicalism was a reaction to a strict or a fundamental stand on the Word of God. And here's, here's one of the major areas when it comes to new evangelicalism is the biblical doctrine of separation. Wow, this is is a biggie. Separation, biblical separation. Most Christians today do not understand the biblical uh, doctrine of separation. There is personal separation. There is ecclesiastical separation. That's talking about the church. And the Bible teaches much about this. Now, new evangelicalism, and I keep using this term as they use it, it is now, because it's been out for many, many years now, it's now maybe an old label. Okay, Like I said, you're not going to get somebody that will say to you probably nowadays, I'm a new evangelical. It's an old label, but here it is. The philosophy behind it still exists today. I'm going to share with you some things that, that really might get your interest here in just a minute. But uh, there, this new evangelicalism, here it is. It's now, in the present day, and, and I believe even new evangelical is different from when it first began. Just like the word evangelical has changed over the years, I believe even the tenets of being a new evangelical is now different. Because now, new evangelicalism is an insistence, here it is, on social justice, and involvement. It's a push to reject biblical separation in order to have a greater dialogue with the broader religious world. Excuse me. We need to have a dialogue with the whole world. We need to tell them that God loves them, that Jesus died for them. I love Nehemiah. I cannot come down from this wall and have some meeting with you religious people. You're just a bunch of pious gas bags. God gave me a work to do, and I'm not coming down off this wall. Some of you just need to realize we need to stay focused on the mission that God gave us to go into all the world with the gospel. He says that you and I should be witnesses unto him both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. But so many today want to have a dialogue with religious, the religious world of today. Now, let me give you three things here, and it may be in your notes there, but a simple way that you and I can di- distinguish the difference between some of these views. Notice, first of all, the word fundamentalism, which I've used many times. This is somebody that declares the truth. Somebody that is a liberal, and I told you I defined this earlier, here it is. A liberal denies the truth. That's what a liberal is. But look at this. A new evangelical, watch this, dangerous. Because they don't deny the truth, they compromise on the truth. See, they just want to move it a little bit this way. And many times, you cannot distinguish someone that is compromising. Oh, you can clearly tell who a liberal is if you know your Bible, if you know the truth. But here we have those that are compromising on the Word of God. Fundamentalists have long been known for their dedication to the truth. New evangelicals do not believe in separating from those who deny the truth. Let me say that again. New evangelicals do not believe in separating from those who, who deny the truth but rather what do they do they yoke up together with truth deniers and this openness that they have to truth deniers to liberals is part of the criteria of new evangelicalism they have rejected taking a strict stand for the truth that this unwillingness that they have has opened their position to liberals and it's opened their position to a denial of the truth now to greater understand that notice number three tonight what what are the premises of new evangelicalism the new evangelical movement now what i'm about to share with you you can look it up yourself march 1956 and i'm just going to kind of share this with you tonight but you can look it up this is the new evangelical movement Uh, they presented an article that was titled, The Premises of New Evangelicalism. And look at them, letter A. The first thing that they stated that New Evangelical Movement is all about is a friendly attitude towards science. Now, let me explain this to you because what they're talking about here is that that we want to have a friendly attitude, an acceptance of the evolutionary theory. You understand evolution, or should I say devolution? It's talking about the origin of life. Excuse me, we didn't come from a tadpole. We're created in the image and likeness of Almighty God. But yet, they want to have a friendly attitude uh, about evolution. Look, folks, I'm going to tell you something. I've been saved 38 years. I've never found one verse in the Bible that verifies evolution. Not one. Show me. I'm from Missouri, show me, all right? So their first premise was a friendly attitude toward science. Look at letter B, and this is just going to build. Their second premise was a re-evaluation of the work of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So we have to re-evaluate the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this dangerous? Because it opens the door to accept, and don't get offended here, but this deals with what they are, it opens a door to the charismatic doctrines, Uh, and again, even today, many of those charismatic movements, uh, what you find, and again, I wish I had more time tonight, a lot of it deals with terminologies, and a lot of the terminologies, I think, are misrepresented, instead of having a biblical approach to them it just opens the door this reevaluation, and, and look a lot of the charismatic doctrines they, you can learn many good things from some of their doctrine from some of their teachings but the biggest thing that I think we ought to be careful about is it places an emphasis on experience over theology now listen I'm glad I'm not saved by my emotions because every day I'd feel lost see, I'm I'm saved tonight. You're saved tonight based on the facts of God's Word, the truth. And so they say we need to reevaluate the work of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you this question tonight? Who is the Holy Spirit? He's God. So let's reevaluate God. Dangerous. Dangerous ground. Let her see. The third premise is a move away. Watch this. Anytime they say they want to move away from something, what are they moving away from? Look at this word, dispensationalism. Now, this may be a newer word to some of you, but what this would do is it opens the door of biblical interpretation of Scripture. Watch this. Do, Do you hear this now with some people? Well, that's what you think. You ever had that conversation with somebody? You're sharing Bible with them? Well, that's what you think. Well, that's man's book. Where did all this come from? From new evangelicalism. All of this we're seeing today. Some of this is is coming. Look, what is dispensationalism? It's Look, this moving away is not recognizing what is known as the ages that were ordained by God to order the affairs of the world. Listen, you can study the Bible. God is a God of order, and you see systematically how God would work in a certain time period, that God would work in the lives of mankind, and then how man would fail God, and how God had to punish man, and then how God, in His mercy, allowed the cycle then to continue. The first dispensation that we see is the age of innocence, all the way back in Genesis, and Adam and Eve messed that one up. The Bible says that, wherefore, as by one man. Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. (laughs) I was talking to Brother Joel today at lunch, Brother Desir. And he was telling me how this pastor that he was with a while back when he was getting ready to go over to Haiti, that you remember some of you were here, Brother Joel wasn't married when he came through. You know, he had a little bit more fire in him when he was single. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But Brother Joel, like anyone else, he the Bible says that man should not be alone. It's not good. And so Joel talked to the pastor that he was under, and he said, look, I'd like to find a wife. And and the pastor said, look, why don't you wait till you get to 80% support? And Brother Joel said, okay. And so he said, I kept raising support to go to Haiti, and he said, I got to 80%. And he said, uh, I went to the pastor, and the pastor said, well... You know, uh, I know what I said. And he says, well, I, I, there's a young lady that I've kind of taken a liking to, and I'm at 80%, and I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to pursue that. And and uh, and so this pastor said to him, he says, well, who is she? And he, he told her, you, you saw, if you were here this morning, his wife was right here, sweet lady, you know, and loves the Lord. And, you know, she's on the mission field. She's got two children, raising them for the Lord and, and supporting her husband. And this pastor said, here it is, 2020 or 2021, says well who is she and he told her told the guy who she was and he says uh no he says if you marry her we will drop you i said to jo- brother joel why cuz she was white you know last time i checked we're all descendants from adam we might have diff- different pigmentation when, when Noah's, Noah and his family got off the boat, they went in different directions. You know, the climate. Listen, when God looks at us, God doesn't see skin color. That's man. And so here's what you find is this move away from or not recognizing God's order of things as you study the word of God. That's dangerous. Letter D, the fourth premise of new evangelicalism. Look at the wording, a more tolerant these are not my words, attitude towards varying views of eschatology. Now, what is eschatology? It's a study of eska, last things. It's a study of end times. A lot of people are enamored, enamored with what's going to happen in the future. Listen, you know what the most important question you can ever answer is? What are you going to do with Jesus? Because, look, if you put your faith in Christ, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen. But if you are saved, you should be concerned about those that are not saved. But See here, they, they, they want to open the door here, want to be more tolerant towards having different views. Now, this relates to a difference, here's the key, to a, between a literal or an allegorical reading of passages in the Bible that deal with prophecy. Now, literal. What's the literal approach to Scripture? That God's Word says what it says and it means what it means. Now, that's, I believe that's the correct interpretation of Scripture. It's not up for us to debate. Now, you can make application from the Word of God to your life, but the truth is the truth. It doesn't change. Amen? Now, what is an allegorical? Watch this. In, in this law, so many people today an allegorical interpretation of the Scripture, here's what it is. It's taking the Scriptures and spiritualizing the Scriptures. Trying to add some value on the man's side of things. Listen, all that might sound good, but you know, you'd, be, you'd be better off, instead of believing that, just do like many people have done, start writing books. People will buy them. They love reading stuff about that. Why? Because it all centers on man. You know, making yourself feel good, uh, being a spiritual person. What is this tolerant view or a more tolerant view about various views of eschatology? It's a move away, here it is, from a historical, a contextual, and a literal approach to the Bible. But yet they say, we got to be more tolerant to various views. You know what various views do? They create confusion, and confusion is not our God, that's the devil, all right? Look at at letter E. The fifth premise is a key word here, renewed emphasis on scholarship. Now, what is scholarship? It all deals with man's knowledge. Let me ask you this question. Did you understand, none of us understand all the Bible, okay, but... Do you understand more Bible now than you did when you got saved? How is that possible? The Holy Spirit. See, man, again, thinks in his knowledge that he has a greater understanding of the Word of God. So we need to have a renewed emphasis on scholarship. Now, what is this? To the new evangelicals, this was a call. Here's the slant. It was a call for fundamentalists to accept... The opinions of experts, even when those opinions disagreed with the Scriptures. What does it say in the book of Acts? We ought to obey God rather than man. See, I'm not interested in man's opinion. I don't think we need to have an overemphasis on scholarship. I think we need to rightly divide the Word of God. We need to study it to show ourselves approved unto God. You know, the problem is we have too many pastors, too many preachers, too many evangelists today that have all kinds of diplomas hanging on their office wall. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. Too much, too much learning hath made thee mad, is what the Bible says. But we have, we have to have a renewed emphasis on scholarship. Now, listen, I'm not, I'm not downplaying studying. I'm not downplaying getting an education, but I think we need to keep the emphasis where God has, and that is let the Holy Spirit teach you. Notice the letter F. Their sixth tenet is a renewed emphasis on, this one just smacks just like you see this so much in the world today, social responsibility. See, the new evangelicals, when you look at these gr- this group, it, this is very common, this social responsibility with groups that are pulling away from what I was talking about earlier, a separatist position. So their argument, here it is, that they say that if we have a separatist uh, view, in other words, if we are biblical, that that really means that we're isolationist. Now, what they'll say is they believe Christians are abandoning their community and that, that Christians are abandoning their social responsibilities towards the poor and needy. And yet every week, we're trying to get out into our community. Every week, we're taking phone calls. We're trying to help people. It, it, listen, I'm going to tell you, you might think this sounds mean, but if somebody calls our church and they have a need, we look, our heart goes out to them. We want to help them, but more important than us giving them some money or more important than us giving them some food is that we would help them to understand and hear the truth that God loves them and Jesus gave his life so that they can have eternal life someday. And so here's what we tell them. Listen, we'll gladly talk to you. We want to help you. But what we need you to do is we need you to come Sunday morning. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If they will not come and sit and listen to God's words, then I'm not interested in helping them because they don't want help. They want a handout. We're living in a day where, the, listen, we just give, give, give. Our government just continues to dish out And say it's our social responsibility. You know what our responsibility as a church is? It's to preach the gospel to all the world. That's what our responsibility is. But yet, here they are saying that we need to re-examine and we need to be a part of this. And I'm going to tell you that the result of this emphasis that I'm talking about is usually a focus on what is known as the social gospel. And it is an emphasis on lessening of personal, soul-winning and here it is, we're right back to it, evangelism. Now, now truth be known, listen to me, here's, the, here's, here's what it boils down to is, Christians have become lazy. Because they don't want to confront and talk to people about the gospel. Look, don't look at me like that. We are commanded. We are commanded by God. To go into all the world, we are commanded to be a witness. That's not a suggestion, folks. Every Christian should be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so many say, "Well, you know, Pastor, I just, I don't know how to talk to people." I, you know, well, listen. You make it in this world. You know how to order food at the restaurant. Certainly, you could take a gospel track out of your pocket and say, "Can I give you something?" Certainly, you can share your testimony. I'm not trying to be unkind tonight. I'm just being truthful. Listen, God didn't save you so that you could just sit sour and soak. God saved you so that you could be a witness. You could tell people that heaven could be their home if they would put their faith in Christ. But see, the emphasis now is on what is known as the social gospel. Now, let me, let me just say to this before I move on. The social gospel, if you've never heard the terms, listen to this. The social gospel is most concerned about circumstances on the earth without concern for people's soul and their eternity. Well, listen, I don't know about you, I want to help people. I see people standing on the street. my heart goes out to them. But a meal is not going to sustain them. But Jesus said to the woman at the well, I have water to drink, that if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again. The gospel works. People need to hear it. But people say, well, listen, what we need is we need the social gospel. We need to concentrate on our problems here on this earth. That kind of sounds political to me. I'd rather be biblical. Look at the seventh premise. They say we need to have a reexamination of biblical inspiration. Wow. Biblical inspiration, you know what that is? That's God breathed. That's the Word of God. So now we're saying, well, we we just don't know if all those words in that book are God's words. So we need to reevaluation. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we have to take 2 Timothy three sixteen out of the Bible because we don't we don't believe that. I mean, it, it could be that there's something in there, and they begin to question the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They they begin to question the inspiration of the Bible. Listen, if they can find one problem in the Bible, they find one error in the Bible, guess what? They can find two. Now, again, I've been saved 38 years. I've never found one error. Not one. I don't know where you are, but I haven't found one error in the Bible. But they say that the Bible, here's their words, the Bible is nothing more than thoughts and ideas. No, the Bible is God's words. Every last bit of it. So, this re examination of biblical inspiration is not, it not only deals with inspiration, but watch this, it also carries over into what we know as preservation. So, you know what you have today is you have a plethora of Bible versions. So, you know what that does? It creates confusion. Well, my Bible says this. Well, my Bible says this. Well, my. So. Is there truth? It's like what Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Where is truth? You see how it just creates doubts? No one can have the truth. Well, where is the truth today? Here, look here, I just believe this. God has given us His truth. He's preserved it, and somewhere in this world, we have God's truth. I happen to believe I'm holding it in my hands. You may believe otherwise. But they say we need to re-examine re-examine. You see the danger in that? How about the last one? Look at this last premise. is They say that there needs to be a willingness to dialogue with liberal theologians. Do you remember what I said a liberal is? Someone that does what with the truth? They denies it, right? But we, look, we need to sit around and have discussion with them. Why in the world what well, I want to sit around and have a discussion with somebody that doesn't believe that the Bible is the Word of God? I mean, if that's their position. Now, let me say it this way. The willingness to dialogue as they say, listen, it is not, this is the way they look at it, not me, it is not a willingness to share the gospel with liberal theologians. Now, I do think that there are times where we might come across somebody that is liberal in their views, and I do think that we have a responsibility by God to try to give them the truth, try to help them to see the truth so that they can know the truth and that they could be set free. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, but that's not what this is. What this is when they say there needs to be a willingness to dialogue with liberal theologians, they say that we need to have a willingness to have an open minded discussion about clear theological matters. Wow, open minded. You know, I, I don't want to open my mind that far. I mean, I just got a little pea brain. You know, I, I don't want to open my mind too far. So, who are you going to trust? Well, again, I'd rather trust the authority of the Scriptures, but they want to sit around with these liberal theologians, and when this happens, here's what it is. It directly counters the biblical commands for rejecting false teachers. The Bible tells us to reject false teachers and to expose apostasy. You may not like that. That may not be you, but can I tell you that is Bible, that we are commanded by God to reject false teachers, and to expose apostasy. If you don't believe me, look in your notes. 2 John, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Not Christ, an anti, a counterfeit Christ. And look what he says. Look to yourselves. That we loose not, don't let go of those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither Bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker. Listen, don't even say to him, hey, have a good day. Don't bid him Godspeed because the Bible says if you do, you are a partaker of his evil deeds. The Bible says, receive him not. Look, be careful when the Mormon knocks on your door and say, hey, listen, come on in. Let's just sit down and have a Bible study. Hey, listen, I'll talk to them all day long, but I'm not going to have them come into my house. I'm not going to have them bring their damnable teachings into my house. I'm not going to have somebody that's a new evangelical be filling my head and filling my heart, but I am going to share the truth with them. But the Bible tells us that we are commanded to reject false teachers. Look at Romans 16, 17. Now, I beseech you, brethren, Christians, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. And here it is, if that's not enough, avoid them. Stay away from it. Remember the word in Matthew 7? Beware. Beware. Now, several of these eight premises that I just covered, and you can go back and review them yourself, but listen to this, several of these trends of the new evangelicals are on the rise in ministry philosophy in many Bible-believing churches today, and that is great cause for concern. We ought to be aware of this. We are not only dealing with church issues, ecclesiastical issues, but we're also dealing mostly with philosophical issues. This is my philosophy. Listen, I'm not interested... In mine or someone else's philosophy, I want to do what God wants us to do, follow God's way, follow His Word. But what do these trends do? They're bringing in, and here's what it says, look at it, there is creating a bridge, a bridge forming between what is known as a conservative position, a fundamental position with what is a much broader evangelical world with its many Bible versions and its emphasis now has become on social issues and its weak and permissive interpretations of the doctrine of God's grace. Boy, you talk about a doctrine that is abused and, and, and misused so much is the doctrine of the grace of God. Everything to these people that are walking away from the truth of God's word, everything comes under the banner of the grace of God. Listen, they have misused the grace of God. But see, ultimately, what is at stake here, ultimately what's at stake is they're trying to reduce the truth to change the truth, to strip the truth. Remember, to move those landmarks, stripping the truth down to such a basic form that it would be hard to take a stand for the truth. It would be hard to separate from anything that is known as truth. In 2022, as Christians, listen to me tonight if we believe in such doctrines as the inspiration and preservation of the scriptures and the biblical makeup of the church and the Baptist distinctives and eternal security and personal holiness and biblical-centered worship and many other doctrines of the Word of God, if we accept them and believe in them as truth that is worth standing for, we will be labeled narrow-minded. That's what they will say. You just don't understand. Now the decision today by many, and this is happening more and more even among friends that I have, to share a platform with those who deny the doctrines of God's Word, they are violating scriptural principles. Now some of those people that they're sharing a platform with, they may not out and out deny, but they may strongly identify with those who do deny. You do understand you're guilty by association. How would you feel if I invited a Catholic priest in here to preach tonight? I think most of you would have an issue with that. But I know some Baptist preachers that are inviting people that do not believe the same doctrines of the Word of God. Some of them, watch this, they they may not be as bold, I, I do believe that day is coming, they may not be as bold as to have them come into their church and be on their platform and preach from their pulpit, but here's what they will do, is they'll go to some meeting and they'll share the platform with all different types, and it happens all the time. You may or may not be aware of that. So let me bring this to a close tonight, and I apologize for being so long, but I want to say this statement before we look at the last thing tonight, and here it is. When I use the word ecclesiastical, I'm talking about the church, the ecclesia, okay? Now, here's the truth, okay? And I want you to get this, is e- e- ecclesiastical separation, biblical separation, combined with biblical unity in what is known as shared doctrine in other words we agree with the same doctrine that that recipe right there has historically promoted what is known as the spread of the gospel now that's not new evangelicalism that's not the 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 premises of new evangelicalism so what's number four what's the way forward here we are tonight we've heard all this stuff and hopefully you're not too depressed But those of us that do share a passion to spread the gospel, we would do well to learn from history. History's there for a reason. We can learn from it. We must understand and appreciate the sacrifices of those who have gone before us. Listen, if you don't know somebody, you ought to read some of our forefathers and what they went through and the sacrifices they made. And if you don't want to do that or don't know who to look up, just open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. And there's a great testimony there, a hall of faith of those that went before us. But I think that we can make some wise decisions and take some sure steps on the path forward. And that brings us right back to our theme for the year. I didn't, I didn't necessarily plan this out. God just brought it together here. But I want you to see the way forward is right there in the message, the illustration that God gave to the prophet Jeremiah. Now, it was directed towards, watch this, Israel, but I have to describe Israel for who they were. They were backsliding Israel. You know what America is doing today? We're backsliding. That doesn't mean we're, we're not God's people. I really believe Israel was God's people. But they were sliding away from God. So, look at, look at the verse, our, our verse for the year, Jeremiah 6.16. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways... And see, and ask for the old path where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your soul. So here it is, through Jeremiah, God was calling His people, here it is, to pause. The whole purpose behind this message is to get you to pause and to consider your direction. What direction are you heading? That's what He was trying to get Israel to do, and so He gave them three commands, and We've been looking at these already this year, but I want you to see them in context tonight. Look at the first command to the way forward. It's to stand. That's our theme for the year, stand ye in the ways. Now, this command is in the Old Testament. It's not the same as the command that you see in the New Testament where the Bible says that we need to earnestly contend for the faith. It's not the same as that. That we need to stand for what is right. The command here in Jeremiah 6.16 is to pause and to consider where you are going. Where you are going. It's called to contemplate the spirit of your heart and the direction of your life. In other words, listen, don't just keep following a path just because it's a path. You ever heard of a rabbit trail? How many of you ever heard of rabbit trail? You know, it's easy sometimes. Now, here's what happens. You're in church. You're growing. You're standing. And all of a sudden, you read something, you listen to something from someone else, and you're unsuspecting. And before long, you're headed off in a direction that is not God's way. It happens all the time. So he says, I want you, I'm commanding you to stand. I want you to pause and consider your direction. Notice the second command. I want you to stand and see. Now, we've been looking at this on Sunday mornings. This is a call to perception. God says, I want you to look out on the horizon. Okay, I want you to look out on the horizon, and I want want you to see where you're heading. See, the problem is we, we look about this far in front of us spiritually. We never consider, hey, you look back historically, biblically, look at Israel, look at all the the judges, look at all the kings, and how, how they came into power, and they did this, and they did this. There's very few that kept their eyes on the Lord. Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We need to look ahead. Here's the question tonight. Are you on the path that is marked by biblical truth? It's marked by biblical truth. Or are you on a broad path to what many would call ecumenicalism? Where, listen, we can all just get together. No, we can't. Because we don't all believe the same thing. Are you on a path that uses the doctrines of the Word of God as signpost? Or are you on a path that measures its progress by the acceptance we receive from the world? I want you to know that not all paths that look similar lead to the same destination. Years ago, I, I heard a message, tremendous message that really impacted my life by Dr. Curtis Hudson before he passed away. Dr. Curtis Hudson preached a a famous message called, Things that are different are not the same. I never forgot that. As he preached that message with God's power and his body was full of cancer. God called him home not too long after that. See, our destination, our consideration, listen to me tonight, it's not about you. It's about future generations. You you and I aren't going to be here much longer. What are our children and our children's children going to have if we let them continue to move the boundaries, the markers that, that, that God has established and set up? May we consider how the trends and the alliances of today will impact the churches that our children will attend tomorrow. And so God's first command was to stand. His second one was to see, and his third one was to ask. You have not because you ask not. Well, what do we ask for? Jeremiah perceived the direction that Israel was heading, and here's what he instructed them to do. He said, ask for the old paths. Hey, we don't don't need them old paths. We need new evangelicalism. No, we need the old paths. You know what the old paths are? They're God's ways. It's the Word of God. Jeremiah was pleading with Israel to return to the paths of being in allegiance to God, a complete rejection of idolatry. This can be applied even today in our lives and in our Christianity, that if we're going to walk in paths of commitment, that we have to be committed to Christ-centered worship, to New Testament truth, to contending For the faith and these paths that God is describing, when we walk in these paths, they will lead us, as the Bible says, in the good way, and we shall find rest for our souls. How many of you want rest, right? Now, what's sad is in Jeremiah's day, it's just like today. And here's what the end of the verse says Jeremiah 6 16. And they said, We will not walk therein. So many today said, you know what? That was for the older generations. I want something new. So here we are tonight. I know this from my heart. My greatest desire in doing God's work is I'm not here to follow men, and I'm not here to follow movements. And I know that's not popular because so many people want to do that. But listen, it's, it's, not, it's not about uh, my preferences tonight. My greatest desire is to lift up Christ to a lost world, a dying world. We are to preach the gospel. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Look at this, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and to that end, I don't know about you, but I want to keep the faith. I want to stand for the truth, and I want to encourage others, you, to do the same. Look, by their fruit, Jesus said, ye shall know them. In other words, what's he saying? That you and I, by the way that they carry themselves, he says that we ought to be able to distinguish between what is a false and what is a genuine teacher. And he says, here's how you're going to know them. By the things, listen to me, the things that they say and the things that they do. Hey, listen. Let's make sure that people know us also by our fruits. The right kind of fruits. A good tree has good fruit. But a bad tree as evil fruit. Would you bow your heads with me tonight, Lord? I know we've been long tonight, and I apologize, especially to those that may be visiting tonight. But Lord, this is a message that I believe you've given us for this hour. So many maybe have never heard anything like this, and I pray even as we conclude tonight that no one would no one would take this in a wrong way even if it was hard to hear. But I pray that you give us Holy Spirit understanding tonight. And not be arrogant or pious, but Lord, help us to be humble with the truth and to share it with those that need it. And God, I pray that you would use us. Help us to stay focused on the purpose that you have saved us and left us here to be a part of your work bless the invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? If you want to come tonight, maybe spend some time with the Lord and say, God, help me to understand this tonight. Give me me clarity. Some of you maybe have bought into some of these things. Listen, what you need to do is search the scriptures, whether those things were so. Know the truth. There's still time if you want to come. Brother Kenny, why don't you lead us in a song of imitation?